Urban Meyer is not the answer in Jacksonville. An exciting week 14 in the NFL and Steph Curry's greatness. The Valley Sports Talk begins right now. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the LaValle Sports Talk Podcast, brought to you by the Soundline Network. As always, I'm your host, Chris LaValle. Hope you all are doing well and staying safe. Urban Meyer drama is heating up in Jacksonville. So there's been a leak within the Jaguars organization. Someone within said organization has been leaking to the press what goes on behind closed doors in a Meyer-run organization. And none of it sounds good. He's been in shouting matches with players, including wide receiver Marvin Jones, Jones, by the way, was so upset that according to NFL Network, he had to be persuaded to return to the team facility following the interaction that he had with Meyer the other day. It's also been reported that he refers to his assistant coaches as losers, but refers to himself as a winner and questioned his coaching staff's resumes during a recent staff meeting. Now, there's always been drama around Urban Meyer, and frankly, anyone who's brought him in, whether it be college or in this case, a pro organization, really needs to understand the risk or should have understood the risk that there that comes with bringing somebody in he had various issues at florida he had quite a few issues at ohio state when he was at utah i don't really remember there being too much surrounding surrounding him uh he just won at utah again there could have been problems there but he wasn't high profile enough for it to really matter But he's never been someone who's been open to criticism, and he's never been forced to have even the tiniest shred of humility or self-awareness because he's won everywhere he's coached. And I think it goes without saying for anyone who's paid any monicum of attention, Urban Meyer is one of the most arrogant human beings in sports. He always has been, and that's kind of been part of his appeal, is that the guy is very full of himself, but he, when he was in college anyway, he always won. So it didn't matter. You kind of overlooked his arrogance. Because when you're winning, when you're constantly in a national championship conversation, when you're a college head coach, people look past your quirks and your your arrogance and and you know your your standoff offishness. I don't even know if that's a word, standoffishness. I don't think that's a word. But anyway, you look past people's flaws. Like look at Nick Saban. Nick Saban is about as surly of a human being as there could be towards the media. And people still praise him because he's the greatest college football coach of all time. So Urban Meyer coming into the NFL had this aura around him of, I'm a winner. I've won everywhere I've been. I've won national championships. Now I'm going to come into the NFL and I got the number one overall quarterback coming to my team, number one draft pick, and uh, we're going to do some things. And it's been a disaster. It's been an absolute disaster since he stepped foot in Jacksonville. He made, he made really bad hiring decisions early on, which came back to bite him in the ass. He's made stupid personal decisions, like not flying back with his team, which just, again, showed how Urban Meyer clearly only thinks about himself, doesn't think about anybody else around him. And he's got some coaches that I think are pushing back, which good for them. They're professionals too. Like Urban Meyer is not the only one with, with a job at stake with a livelihood on the line. I, I I truly believe this is the beginning of the end for him in the NFL. And it should be. Honestly, it should be. He has been a disaster in Jacksonville. Not only has he been a disaster of a coach, but his quarterback has been regressing. Trevor Lawrence was coming into the NFL, looked at as the second coming of Andrew Luck. And he has regressed 
over the last few weeks. Also, no one talks about Trevor Lawrence. Think about it. Think about the last time a number one overall pick, somebody who has been hyped up to the likes of Elway, Luck. Think about when Cam Newton got came into the league. Think about when Luck and RG3 came into the league. Hell, even think about Joe Burrow last year. They were always in the conversation. Joe Burrow, although the Bengals weren't great last year, we were still talking about Joe Burrow pre-injury because he was playing, he was still playing pretty well. No one's even thinking about talking about Trevor Lawrence. He's not on any of the debate shows. He's not anywhere in the sports media landscape. And why? Well, for starters, because Jacksonville's irrelevant. That's number one. But number two, because he's been playing like crap. I mean, really, really bad football. Now, I've been on this podcast before and said, hey, look, he can play like crap. He's going to make his mistakes. Let him make his mistakes. I'm good with it. Same thing happened with Peyton Manning. Same thing has happened with other quarterbacks where their first couple of years, it's a feeling out period. Some quarterbacks like Justin Herbert, even like Joe Burrow, are able to jump into the league and just it just kind of works out for them. They're, they're able to figure it out on the fly. They've also had a lot of help around them. They've got personnel that's that's much better than what we're seeing in Jacksonville. So you have to take all of that into consideration. However, you look at Trevor Lawrence's numbers the last three games. Against the Falcons, 228 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Against the Rams, 145 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. And then this past weekend against the Vikings, 221 yards, zero touchdowns, four interceptions. He has an eclipse 250 passing yards in a football game. That's a problem. And that's that's alarming on on in in many cases. You can't you can be okay with Trevor Lawrence going through the motions, which I am, and, and learning and making his mistakes, but you should also see little bits of development moving forward. Each week you see Mac Jones getting a little bit better. Each week you see you see, and, and again, I know they're not rookies because really Mac Jones is the only rookie that's thriving right now. But you look at second or third year quarterbacks. Each week you see Joe Burrow getting a little bit better. You see, like I said, Justin Herbert getting a little bit better. You see these younger quarterbacks developing week after week after week. Even if it's a small baby step forward, they're still making strides. Trevor Lawrence is stalled right now. And it's and that, to me, falls on the head coach. You were brought in to win games in Jacksonville. Well, part of winning games in Jacksonville is also developing your young stud of a quarterback. Somebody who has all the talent in the world. Someone who everyone evaluated as being the second coming of Andrew Luck. And you're wasting away his rookie season. That's a problem. And that's why I truly believe that that Urban Meyer won't be back next season. And he shouldn't be. The only reason why I wouldn't fire him now is because what's the point? Really, what's the point? Why are you going to, you don't need to bring somebody else in and, sh- and shake things up even more than they've already been. You might as well ride this one out. Jacksonville's not going anywhere this season. You might as well tank and try to get as top of, as close to the top of the draft as you possibly can so you can build around Lawrence. But if Shad Khan was smart, the second the last game ended, I would fire Urban Meyer on the spot. I wouldn't even give him the, op- the opportunity to resign I would fire him and just say, look, you've been a disaster. You suck. You're out. And leave it at that. What Urban Meyer chooses to do after this, I don't know. I don't know if he goes back to college. I don't know if he goes back into the broadcast booth. But this has been an unmitigated disaster from day one. 
And again, this all falls at the feet of Urban Meyer. You can't, you, he can't blame his way out of this one. He can't point fingers and try and blame those around him. This is all fallen on him. And for once, I hope people hold his feet to the fire and make him answer for his complete and utter failure. All right, let's get after some NFL Week 14. Here we go. Aaron Rodgers continues to own the Bears as the Packers beat up on their Chicago rivals. 45-30 to 30 on Sunday Night Football. Rodgers, 341 yards and four touchdowns. Justin Fields, 224 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 74 yards rushing. The Bears made this game very interesting. Early, they were up 27-21 at halftime. Packers went on to outscore them 20-3 to in the second half. The turnovers by the Bears, specifically the pick six, was the main difference in this ballgame. Packers continue to roll, and I believe they are easily the best team in the NFC and possibly in the NFL. Oh, by the way, Aaron Rodgers is still the MVP. At least he should be. Dallas Cowboys survive against Washington 27-20. Prescott 211, one touchdown, two picks. Heineke 122, one touchdown, one interception. Cowboys hang on to defeat their bitter rivals in a must-win for the reeling division leaders. Prescott continues to struggle, and it seems like a health issue to me at this point anyway. You know, I don't know if it's his shoulder or his leg. Something's not right. Cowboys would be better served to sit Prescott for at least the next two games. Frankly, I think they should just sit him into the playoffs. All the, all the Cowboys have to do is win one game. You win one football game, you're in the playoffs. You're not getting home field, so it doesn't really matter what your seating is at this point. You know, look, I, I would sit him the rest of the way because if you don't have Prescott, you're screwed. You're absolutely screwed. You're going to get bounced in the first round. Their final four games are the Giants, Washington, Arizona, and the Eagles. You should sit. I mean, look, you could sit him against the Giants and win that game with ease. Cooper Rush can beat the Giants. Hell, he beat the Vikings. Washington might be a little tougher because, look, Washington is not as bad as, as they were earlier on this season. Arizona is going to be a loss regardless of if Prescott plays or not. And then you guys can beat up on the Eagles. So realistically speaking, you could go two and two the rest of the way. And again, you're still in the playoffs. So look, I would say Prescott because without a healthy Prescott, you have absolutely no shot. Bucks hold off the Bills 33 to 27. Brady 363 yards, two touchdowns, one touchdown rushing. Josh Allen 308 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, 109 rushing yards, and one touchdown. Bucks were up 24 to 3 at halftime. Bills came roaring back in the second half to force this game into overtime. Brady ends up throwing a game-winning touchdown pass in OT. Don't let the stats fool you, though. Brady struggled the entire second half and got bailed out in overtime by the refs. Look, I'm not a Brady conspiracy theorist when it comes to, oh, my God, he gets all the ref calls because Rodgers gets good calls. Mahomes gets gets favorable calls. The top, It's like in the NBA. Superstars get the call, the favorable calls. The quarterback, the top quarterbacks in the league get favorable calls. But some of the calls that Brady was getting in this, and especially at the end of regulation and in overtime, was ridiculous. I mean, they, they, there was some blatant pass interference that was going on that that either A, wasn't called, or B, was called against the Bills. It, it depended on whether or not the Bills were on offense or defense. Brady was 8 of 16 for 76 yards in the second half. Brady struggled. He once again, has great numbers and will likely win the MVP, but he's struggling against good teams. When good teams barrel down on him, he's not very successful and he hasn't been this season. You know, it's great that he had those those lofty stats at the end of the football game, but in the first half, yeah, he was rolling. And then in the second half, the Bills pinned their ears back and blitzed the shit out of him and Brady couldn't do anything. So 
you know, again, you, everyone wants to just give Brady the MVP. Oh, my God, he's 45 or 44 years old. What we're seeing from him is just unbelievable. We've never seen anything like it. Yeah, ab you're absolutely right. What Brady has done is unreal. But Aaron Rodgers is having the better season. Brady has three losses. He's 11-3. and three. While the Packers are also 11-3, and three, Aaron Rodgers is 10-2 and two as the starter this season. I'm sorry, 11-2 and two as the starter this season. So, you know, he's only had two losses. He's got the better touchdown-interception ratio. Aaron Rodgers is, is your MVP. But again, they'll give it to Brady. He's the better story. Anyway, sorry, moving on. Josh Allen did everything in this game for the Bills. Everyone wants to pile on the dude and say that he's not living up to expectations. What more would you like Josh Allen to do? He had over 400 yards of total offense and three touchdowns. He also became just the fourth quarterback in NFL history to throw for over 300 yards and rush for 100-plus yards in the same game. He's hardly the reason why the Bills have lost three of five and are staring up at the Patriots in the AFC East. Look, has Josh Allen taken like a baby step back from last season's sensational stats? Sure. Sure. He, th there was no way he was going to repeat on that. That last year was unbelievable. And frankly, you could have made the argument that he should have won MVP last year over Aaron Rodgers if you really wanted to. And I would have been okay with that argument. But there was another quarterback who had a sensational year and then took a half step back the following year. You want to know what his name was? Patrick Mahomes. Pat Mahomes in his second year as a starter, third year in the league, but second year as a full-time starter, threw like 50 touchdown passes or whatever the hell it was. It was something something outrageous. The following year, he didn't even eclipse 30 touchdown passes. No one piled on him. No one gave him crap. No one was sitting there going, oh, well, clearly he's just a one-year wonder. Didn't happen with Mahomes. But yet everybody is can't wait. They were chomping at the bit this season to see if Josh Allen, does Josh Allen really earn this contract? Josh Allen is the second most important quarterback to his team in the league behind Aaron Rodgers. The Buffalo Bills would not have more than three wins this season if, if, excuse me, if Allen was not his quarterback. So for everyone out there, the, all the Josh Allen haters out there, you guys sound so stupid and ignorant. It's just unbelievable. Look, just watch the games. Look at everything Allen has to do in order for the Bills to be successful. If Josh Allen does not play a great football game, the Buffalo Bills have no chance. No chance for success. The Rams finally showing signs of life. Beat the Arizona Cardinals on Monday Night Football 30-23. to Matt Stafford, 287 yards, three touchdowns. Kyler Murray, 383 yards, two interceptions, 61 yards rushing. Kyler Murray's turnovers cost the Cardinals in this football game, especially early in the in the ball game. It was in the first quarter. The Cardinals had the opportunity to go up 10-0. Arnold tips the pass, ends up being a pick. And to me, that that just completely changed the momentum of the game. From that point on, it, that just kind of swung in the Rams' direction. Had the Cardinals gone up 10-0 at home, I think we could have been looking at a completely different ball game. I really do. I, I just I feel that... The, the way that the Rams have struggled over the last month of the season to be down 10-0 on the road, I just think that it would have been a lot for them to be able to overcome. So moving on here, the Cardinals statistically, by the way, owned most of this ballgame, although they lost. They, had, they owned time of possession. They were best at third and fourth down efficiency. And they, they had the most total yards. But the Rams played their best game of the season. So give the Rams credit. Stafford was tremendous. Darnold had three sacks plus that tip pass that led to that interception, like I said. The Rams desperately needed this win to keep pace with the Cardinals in the NFC, and they played like it. 
So kudos to them. They finally played like the team that I expected them to be all season. I picked this team to win the Super Bowl. I picked Matt Stafford to be MVP. So th- this is moving forward. This is the Rams team I expect to see. This was the, I think this was the get right game for the Rams. They've changed the momentum. They've changed the narrative around them. And I think moving forward, we're going to see the Rams team that not just me, but I think everybody else expected to see from the jump. All right, so moving on here. Other news and notes around the league. The Chiefs throttled the Raiders 48-9. to Chiefs own this game from start to finish. Mahomes, 258 yards, two touchdowns. Chiefs still lead the AFC West by one game. They have a massive Thursday night game against the Chargers, which will all but decide the division. The Raiders season is effectively over. They have a 6-7 and seven record. It's done. They're not making the playoffs. 49ers win fifth straight to defeat the Bengals 26-23. Jimmy G throws game-winning touchdown in OT. Jimmy was two, had 296 yards and two touchdowns. 49ers are finally healthy and are on a roll. They have a great chance at making the playoffs. I think they will make the playoffs. Joe Burrow, 348 yards, two touchdowns. Bengals are still in the playoff hunt in the crowded AFC North. They're a half game back behind the Ravens. Speaking of the Ravens, the Browns struggled to beat the Lamar Jacksonless Ravens 24-22. The Browns claw out a victory in a game that they should have won handily. The Browns should have blown out this football team. If the Browns are really going to be a true blue playoff contender, they should have rolled the Ravens. They were up 24 to 6 at halftime and 24 to 9 entering the fourth quarter. Baker Mayfield, 190 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. And once again, Baker Mayfield can't make the big play to put his team in position to win the game. Not just win the game, but put their foot on the throat of a rival. Not just a not just a playoff team, but a division rival. He continues to get, he being Mayfield, continues to get exposed week after week after week. I am so sick and tired. Look, I was a Baker Mayfield fan. I was waving the pom-poms forever. This dude sucks. He's not the guy. And the people in the media who still want to defend Baker Mayfield, what the hell are you watching? He is the reason the Browns are not succeeding. He's holding them back. I have never in my life seen a quarterback constantly try to find ways to lose football games. Like We've seen quarterbacks struggle before. That's happened all the time. But I've never seen a quarterback put in such a great position as Mayfield has been with the Browns this over the past couple of years. The Browns, to their credit, and let's give Cleveland credit here. For the longest time, Cleveland has been a joke in this league. They have actually built one hell of a football team around their, their supposedly stud quarterback. And he keeps finding ways to lose. Now, I also think this falls on Stefanski. I think he's been an overrated coach. I don't think he's very smart. don't think he's very good. His job should be on the line, too. But Baker Mayfield struggled to beat backup Tyler Huntley. Who the hell is Tyler Huntley? I had no idea who Tyler Huntley was. I remember the name from college, but I, he didn't mean anything to me coming into the football game. I had to look him up. Dude was 27-38 for 270 yards and one touchdown. He, was, he, he played fine. I mean, look, he actually played really well in the backup role. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from him. But the fact that Mayfield, this was an opportunity to just have a game where you ball out, you, you 
beat up on, on a team, regardless of what, what happened with Lamar, it doesn't matter. You're playing, you're playing a rival, you beat them up, and you feel good afterwards. Instead, you had to scrap and claw and pray to God that the Ravens weren't able to score at the end of the football game. The Ravens, once again, show that they have the most heart of any team in the league. And while I don't feel like this team is a playoff contender, their offense is just way too inconsistent. Lamar has been hot and cold all season long. And presume, presuming that Lamar gets healthy come playoff time, I still don't think they're going to be a contender. Maybe they'll win a playoff game, but they're certainly not going to be in the AFC Championship game. With that being said, though, if you're John Harbaugh, you have to feel awesome about your team. And I understand that there's no moral victories in the NFL, but the, the, the difference in coaching between the Ravens and the Browns, to me, was just exemplified in this ballgame. You saw the difference between a Super Bowl winning head coach and another coach for at least as it stands right now will never be able to compete on that level. All right, moving on here. The Chargers thumped the Giants 37-21. Justin Herbert, 275 yards and three touchdowns. Chargers won this game with ease, which they should have. The Giants are terrible in general, but even worse without Daniel Jones. Mike Lennon might be the worst backup in the league next to Trevor Simeon. My God, is Mike Lennon awful. He just the, Some of the passes he was making, they, they were just mind-boggling. Mind-boggling and awful. Herbert, by the way, after his three-touchdown gem against the Giants, became the first quarterback in NFL history to throw at least 30 touchdowns in each of the first two seasons. Oh, and by the way, he's still top three in passing yards, touchdown passes, and QBR. Now, I'm fully aware that when this podcast drops, as I noted earlier, the Chargers-Chiefs Thursday night game is going to be in the books. And if Mahomes outplays Herbert, I'm going to get an unbelievable pushback and flack for my heaping praise of Justin Herbert. And all I can say is this, bring it on. Herbert already outplayed Mahomes in their week three matchup and has played better all season long. I just want to point out again that Justin Herbert became the first quarterback in NFL history. So that means he just did something that even the great and wonderful Pat Mahomes, the greatest quarterback of all time, according to some, didn't even do. And here's the one main advantage that Patrick Mahomes has had over Justin Herbert from the jump, and that's Andy Reid. He's had the second best head coach in football, arguably the best offensive mind in football, best quarterback coach in football since he entered the league. Justin Herbert has had two different head coaches in his first two seasons, two completely different run offenses that he's had to learn, and he's been sensational in both. Just food for thought, y'all. Food for thought. All right, so my picks are back to being terrible. I was 1-3 last week. Here are four more picks for you this week. Patriots at Colts, Bengals at Broncos, Vikings at Bears, Packers at Ravens. So Ravens are a six and a half point dog at home against the Packers. I think the Packers win the game. I'm going to say the Ravens keep it closer than six and a half though. So I'm going to take the Ravens plus six and a half. Vikings at Bears. Vikings are a four and a half point favorite on the road in Chicago. Take the Vikings all day. Take the Vikings. I think the Vikings are going to blow out the Bears. Vikings need need to win. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna believe as inconsistent as they've been, the Vikings are too damn good on offense to to not cover here. So I'm going to take the Vikings minus four and a half Bengals at Broncos Bengals For some reason are a one point dog on the road at Denver. If the Bengals are going to make the playoffs, if the Bengals are a true playoff team, if Joe Burrow is going to be the dude, this is a game he should win in Denver, Denver. 
how Denver is still even in the playoff conversation, I can't figure out. I, I don't understand. I know the defense is great, but I, I don't understand the Broncos whatsoever. So I'm going to take the Bengals plus one on the road. I, I just think the Bengals are an overall better football team, and I think the Bengals are going to be in the playoffs. And then Patriots at my Colts, which is a Saturday night game, which is kind of weird, but Saturday night game. Colts are a one-point favorite at home. This bothers me because now you've just given Belichick an opportunity to just tell his team about how, once again, they're an underdog. And now he's got all the motivation he needs for his team, so he'll be there on a meeting saying something to the effect of, this is a good football team, and you know, we, we, uh, you know, we, can, we can make this a good game here. We just you know, Once again, the, the media doesn't believe in us, so uh, let's go out there and, and show us what Patriots football is. Do your job. That's either going to be a really, really good Bill Belichick impression or a horrific Bill Belichick impression, and I'm not going to know until I listen back, and I'm not editing this podcast, so that could either be really funny or everybody just cringed, but uh, you can let me know at LaValleyCH on Twitter. Anyway, I'm taking the Colts minus one in this football game as much as, as I, it does bother me that the Patriots are the underdog. If the Colts are going to make the playoffs, they got they, they need to they need to beat a playoff contending team. This is a team. This is an opportunity for the Colts at home. I'm I'm gonna pick with my heart, not necessarily with my head, because I think the Patriots are the better football team. I think they're the best team in the AFC. But I'm gonna take the Colts here because I think if the Patriots are going to slip up at all the rest of the way, this would be the most challenging game for them. So I'm going to take the Colts, although I don't feel great about it. So to recap real quick, I got the Ravens, the Vikings, the Bengals, and the Colts, and those are your picks for Week 15. Time Magazine has named their Athlete of the Year, and it's Simone Biles. And I have a thousand reasons why this is stupid. Let's start off with Simone Biles and her decision. The decision that she made to quit on her team was one of the most selfish and self-centered decisions I have ever seen an athlete do on a massive stage or a massive platform, if you will. Her interviews post her decision have always been about her, not about the privilege or the opportunity she had to represent her country. She took a spot away from someone else who wanted to be there. There's thousands, hundreds of girls who are competing all at, at all the times, but especially every four years, to try and make an Olympic squad who desperately want to be there, to have the opportunity to represent their country and show the world what they can do. And Simone Biles took a spot from another deserving woman. And I have a real problem with that. This is the same girl who had the audacity, the audacity to have the goat insignia on her leotards. A goat insignia to show how great she is, how she's the best of all time. And she may very well be the best of all time, not taking anything away from her skill or her ability. And part of the reason why it upset me and it upset so many people so much is because of how great she is or how great she was. We wanted to see her dominate. We, we were rooting for her to dominate. We looked forward. Part of, part of looking forward to the Summer Olympics is to watch her do her thing. That's what makes that's what made her so great. That's what made everyone so impressed by her was what she was able to do for oh, technically five years ago. In her response to the criticism that she's received, she said, and I quote, If I were going to quit, I had other opportunities to quit. There is so much I've gone through in this sport, 
and I should have quit over all of that. Not at the Olympics. It makes no sense. End quote. Except, here's the funny little thing. She did quit. That's exactly what she did. She quit in the Olympics. Her statement as a whole doesn't even make any sense. Now, look, I'm not taking any away from the fact that she's questioning, rather, I should say, what she's gone through in this sport. I can't even imagine. I, I cannot imagine the the pressure that's been on her, not to mention the what she had to go through behind closed doors and, and what all those other former Olympic gymnasts had to deal with, with the sexual assault and everything. It's absolutely horrific what they've had to endure. I'm not taking anything away from, from her on that end. However, to make that statement, though, that if I were to quit, I had other opportunities to quit, okay, well, you did. You're right. You had other opportunities to quit. But instead, you chose to quit on the biggest stage. You let your team out. You, you literally let them out to dry. You had to get other people to step up for you to compete. And somehow, she's been lauded as a hero, as this paragon of virtue, of, of true heroism regarding mental health awareness. That's not mental health. I'm sorry. That's not mental health awareness. You all of a sudden being overwhelmed by the moment and quitting on your team is not some sort of mental health victory. It shows weakness. It doesn't show strength. Look, I'm all for mental health awareness. I'm, I think it's great that there's no longer a negative stigma, or at least we're trying to, to push back against the negative stigma that comes with, with a, lot of, um, a lot of issues surrounding mental health. But you're an athlete. You're judged and praised based off of what you do on the biggest stages, in the biggest moments. And you're an Olympian. Therefore, your biggest stage comes once every four years. And again, it's not like you you didn't know what was going to happen. You've already been to the Olympics before. You had been on this stage before. Again, you had the audacity to put goat emblems in your leotard. And that's something that everyone seems to gloss over is this is a woman who was embracing all of the media coverage all of the sponsorships, everyone who is calling her the GOAT. She's the greatest gymnast of all time, which she is, at least in this country's history. And then when you actually had to perform, when you had to go out and prove your GOAT status, improve all of the all of the people out there who had been lauding you and praising you, and when you had to prove them right, you mentally choked. That is not you're, you're not then all of a sudden brave by coming out and saying, well, you know, I just, I was feeling dizzy or I was feeling off. And then, you know, I had to think from my, I had to think out, I had to think about myself. And she said something to the effect of, I'm at the Olympics for me. I'm here for me. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. Wrong. That's where you're wrong. When you're going to the Olympics, it's not just about you. It's about your country. You're representing your country. You're representing something greater than you. And the problem with this society today and the problem with her generation and my generation, unfortunately, started this is this me, me, me culture. This, well, what is it? What can I get out of this? What is it about me that I can possibly do to make me feel and look better? That's not what the Olympics is about. The Olympics is not about you. It's about the team and it's about the country that you represent. It's about having pride, pride in something greater than yourself. And unfortunately, pampered athletes like Miss Biles 
have been taught that you don't have to look for something greater than you. It's only about you. It's only about what's best for you. And if you, if you just, if you just need to think about you and be selfish, that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to worry about anybody else. Screw everybody else. Just take care of number one. And it's emblematic that she's getting praised for being selfish. That people are praising her and, and calling her a hero because she only looked out for number one instead of looking out for the greater good for her teammates. So with that being said, let's look at other former Olympians who were named Times Athlete of the Year. You have Usain Bolt, Jesse Owens, Serena Williams, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. You want to know what they all have in common? They didn't quit on their teams. Performing in the Olympics was about performing for their country, not about themselves. And they felt honored and privileged to be there. And it showed. It showed by how they dominated on the biggest stage, about the fact that they wrapped themselves in the flag and were celebrating where they were and what they were doing in their accomplishments. They're athletes of the year. They deserved this award. Simone Biles does not deserve any awards this year. I'm sorry. She's not. She didn't perform an athletic feat. That's the thing. That's the other thing. You want to name her time person of the year? Fine. Name her time person of the year. Give her all the platitudes that you want. But athlete would actually mean that she did something athletic. She didn't even do anything athletic. You want to talk about athletes who actually performed on the biggest stage? Who did something worth the title of athlete of the year? How about her teammate, Sinissa Lee, who won gold in the marquee individual competition? Caleb Dressel, who was the swimmer who won five gold medals, three individual and two team. How about Tom Brady, who won a Super Bowl at 43 years of age? Or Giannis Antetokounmpo, who won an NBA title and finals MVP? Those four individuals would have been much more deserving of athlete of the year because A, they didn't quit when the light shone their brightest, and B, they actually performed an athletic feat. Any one of those four would have been much more deserving for the title of Athlete of the Year. So Steph Curry is officially a three-point king. Curry drained a three to surpass Ray Allen's old mark with 7.33 to go in the first quarter of the Tuesday night in his Tuesday night game against the New York Knicks. It was a 28-footer from the right wing and was the 2,974 three-pointer of Curry's career. Ray Allen, who retired in 2014, finished with 2,973. Steph Curry has just added to his legacy of being not only the greatest shooter of all time, but for my money, the most impactful NBA superstar since Michael Jordan. Yes, more so than LeBron James. And I've talk, talked about that before on the podcast. I don't want to reiterate that. I do want to bring this up, though, and this is why I'm, I'm doing this last word segment on Steph, aside from the fact that I love him. I think that Steph Curry is going to absolutely obliterate this record to a point where no one's ever going to touch it. What we're seeing from Steph Curry right now, I believe that he's going to win the MVP this season. So that'll give him three MVPs. And I think there's a really good shot that he wins another title, whether it's this season, whether it's next season, or even the season after that. I think he's got a window for about three years where he could win potentially at least one more ring. If Steph Curry wins one more ring, 
and he has another NBA MVP on his resume. And I'm going to assume he's going to win finals MVP finally because he should have won it this first year. They robbed him and gave it to Andre. But here's the deal. This is why I'm bringing this up. Think about his resume. Greatest shooter we've ever seen. Three Potentially three MVPs. Let's say he has at least four NBA titles and an NBA Finals MVP. When you talk about the Mount Rushmore of basketball, who do you usually hear? Jordan, Kareem, uh, Magic, Larry, LeBron. Those are usually your five interchangeable. Some people will put Wilt up there as well as your sixth. So you kind of got like a rotating cast of characters, right? Everybody's everybody's Mount Rushmore is a little bit different. I think at the end of, of Steph Curry's career, when you look back on the impact he's had on the game, on the impact that he has had culturally, and what his accomplishments are on the court, I think Steph Curry is going to be in the argument to be on the NBA's Mount Rushmore. I truly believe that. And look, this isn't my bias. I'm sitting back and I'm. you go back and you look. Think about it. He gets four titles. He has the same amount of titles as LeBron. Yeah, he has less finals MVPs. But he has the same amount of titles. He'll potentially have three MVPs. And he'll be the all-time three-point champion and the greatest shooter we've ever seen. That, that alone should put him in somewhat of a conversation. And then again, you go right back to the impact that he has had on basketball. The impact that he has had culturally. The way that kids want to be like Steph, the same way kids wanted to be like Mike. It's interchangeable at this point. You look at his likability factor. You look at the way that people revere Steph on and off the court. Sure, there are a lot of players that hate on him, but that's jealousy. I'm not. There are people who are jealous of Jordan too. If you just think about everything that Steph Curry could potentially accomplish, and again, a lot of this is is if this happens. Obviously, I'm not saying that he's on the Mount Rushmore now. I'm just saying though, if you think about what he could do in his career the rest of the way. If he wins another MVP, and if he wins another title, possibly two. And and I'll even do you one better. If he gets five championships, he is absolutely in the conversation for Mount Rushmore. Like I, At that point, you would be stupid to argue against that. But I'm just saying that at, at the minimum, if he gets a fourth title and a third MVP and you take everything else into account, I truly believe that Steph Curry is going to belong on the NBA's Mount Rushmore. All right, everybody, that's going to do for this week's edition of the Valley Sports Talk Podcast, brought to you by the Soundline Network. As always, thank you so much for tuning and listening. I greatly appreciate it. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. And that's it. That's all I have for you this week. Hope you all be well. Stay safe. Talk to you all again next week.